0: Chapter 13 of Boston Blackie by Jack Boyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Shot in the Dark. As the Humboldt, plowing steadily southward beneath sunny skies, neared Seattle, the tension in the stateroom occupied by Miss Whitney and Miss Francisco increased until it became a tangible something as vibrant as an electric current. Neither woman for an instant relaxed her ceaseless watchfulness, and neither betrayed it. Yet each knew that as she spied, she was being spied upon. Mary, in the light of her knowledge of the crucial situation on shipboard, found much in her gay companion's conduct to deepen her suspicion that Miss Francisco, if not actually a detective, was an emissary of those whom she knew were on board. On the days following the woman's first appearance in Mary's stateroom, Nina spent much time in the steamer's wireless station, where, apparently, she flirted flagrantly with the operator, a role in which she proved herself decidedly adept. Camouflage to cloak her anxiety for further news from Seattle that will enable the officers to identify Blackie and Luce, was Mary's inward comment. As for the hundredth time she studied her fellow passengers, with a hope of determining the identity of the police officers she knew to be among them, the detectives were lodged close to the treasure-room the purser had said and gradually her suspicion centered on an englishman sir arthur cumberland on the passenger list who with a secretary companion was ostensibly making the alaskan trip as part of a round-the-world tour cumberland was a big blond britisher with a long drooping moustache an accent that was joyfully mimicked by other passengers in the salon and a decided weakness for the American bar below decks. His secretary was a keen-eyed little man named MacDonald, whose burr suggested the Clyde. Just why she doubted Cumberland, Mary herself could hardly have explained, except that she felt he was too obviously in dress and personal appearance what he seemed, too perfectly the familiar titled Englishman of the American stage a chance word crystallized her suspicion into certainty on the night she hid herself in a secluded nook behind a lifeboat to win for a moment the relief of being off guard the englishman smoking stopped beside the boat almost immediately he was joined by the secretary what have you learned demanded cumberland haven't located anything yet answered macdonald you must quickly for i'll have them before we sight seattle or my name's not He stopped, glancing round as if fearing eavesdroppers, and laughed at his own caution. "'Be careful,' warned his companion as they strolled on. From that moment Mary assiduously courted the company of the pair. An easy task, for a pretty face, was the open sesame to Sir Arthur's good will and interest. She had no definite plan, no specific hope, but hour by hour prayed for inspiration. Miss Francisco had scarcely noticed the Englishman, until Mary adopted them as deck companions. From that moment, however, she managed to make herself an inseparable member of the party. One night, after two frequent visits to the buffet, Cumberland dropped an H now and then, and lapsed occasionally into an accent not at all suggestive of Regent Street. Mary looked up as she caught this false note, found Nina Francisco studying her curiously, MacDonald also was keenly aware of his chief's incriminating bit of forgetfulness, for with ill-hidden anger he managed to separate him from the ladies, and the pair vanished into their cabin. That night, when they were alone in their stateroom, Miss Francisco, to Mary's surprise, began to discuss and speculate upon Sir Arthur Cumberland and his business. "'Did you notice anything peculiar in our friend the baronet's language this evening?' she asked innocently. "'Mary, busy at her dressing-table, "'flashed a quick look into the glass "'and met her companion's eyes in the mirror. "'She's wondering whether her detective friends "'have betrayed themselves to me,' she thought. "'It was peculiar for a titled Englishman,' she said aloud. "'Then, after a moment's thought, in which to weigh her words, "'Mary added, "'But it was nothing that I was not fully prepared to expect from him.' "'Again the women studied each other furtively so you think as i do that our titled globetrotter may be began nina i know just as you do interrupted mary with increasing emphasis on each word that sir arthur cumberland is playing a part for a purpose i think even you will admit he plays it badly nina tucked a drooping lock of her raven hair into place and toyed with a powder puff before answering you're quite right she said at last "'Sir Arthur would play any game rather badly, I imagine. "'Very differently from you, my dear.' "'And from you also,' added Mary, following the words with a look that accentuated their inner meaning. "'Does that mean, necessarily, that we, you and I, must play at cross-purposes on the Humboldt?' asked Nina. "'You can answer your own question far better than I,' said Mary thanks replied nina you have clarified the atmosphere for both of us i think anyway in seventy-two hours we will be in seattle and then mary without replying threw herself on her berth and switched off the lights to save herself the ordeal of parrying nina francisco's coldly analyzing eyes in seventy-two hours the humboldt would be in seattle she had said pointedly in seattle with detectives waiting at the dock, she meant, and a prison looming large and certainly in the background. Mary's clenched fingers bit into her palms at the thought. Her fears were not for herself, but for the man she loved. With the robbery still uncommitted, for in the light of the information she had given him she had no thought that Blackie would persevere in his attempt to secure the gold, Mary knew that there would be little or nothing on the Humboldt that would justify a prison term but she knew too that with a man of boston blackies crook-world prestige and their toils the police would find or invent something for which he could be imprisoned without realizing that she had slept mary was suddenly awakened to full consciousness by a stealthy movement near her in the pitch-dark cabin she listened with every sense keyed to superlative alertness the sound a soft slippered step was repeated and she felt a faint fresh breeze stir her hair Instantly she realized its significance. The door of the stateroom, locked when she retired, now was ajar. Silently she raised herself and stared into the darkness. Her eyes detected a blacker blotch just within the cabin door, crouching furtively like an animal, ready to spring. Now and then, in the faint light that filtered in through the open porthole, she caught a reflected glint of bright metal near the figure at the doorway. She recognized that changing, intermittent flash a person within the cabin, watching the companionway, down which twenty steps distant was the door of the treasure-room, held a revolver. Noiselessly as an Indian, Mary drew herself over the side of the berth till her feet touched the floor. She slipped into her dark-colored dressing-gown, and with eyes still fixed on the figure in the doorway, felt beneath her pillow till her fingers grasped the butt of a revolver as she rose with slow caution a faint sound reached her from the companionway the gentle creak of a heavy door moving on little-used hinges as if that were an awaited signal the form in the doorway straightened and glided silently as a shadow out of the cabin into the pitch-dark companionway mary a second silent shadow followed With eyes accustomed now to the darkness, Mary detected two forms on the narrow passageway which branched at right angles just beyond the treasure-room. One, the one that had been within the door of her cabin, was slinking inch by inch along the wall with the stealth of a jungle cat stalking its prey. The other was bent over the lock of the treasure-room door. In the absolute silence, Mary heard the man's fingers gently moving over the steel plate a faint ejaculation of astonishment came from the man before the strong room then a tiny ray of light illuminated the door for a fraction of a second by its flash mary saw that the massive padlock that should have guarded the gold was gone as the light winked out into absolute blackness the figure stalking the man by the door moved quickly forward mary followed close behind then a dozen amazing things happened at once from the cross companionway beyond the strong room a third figure rose apparently from the floor and seized the man before the door there was a fierce struggle followed by a deafening splintering of wood as they crashed against the cabin partitions and fell to the floor from between the struggling forms the sharp crack of a revolver followed by a brilliant flash of flame which for a second lighted the faces of the fighting men by the flash mary saw them clearly The attacker, who had risen from the floor beyond the strong room, wore a crook's mask. The man who had fired the revolver for which both were now struggling desperately was Sir Arthur Cumberland. As the shot reverberated down the narrow passageway, the figure that had stolen from the doorway of Mary's cabin leaped to the centre of the melee with a clubbed gun held high as if to end the battle with a single deadly blow. Mary sprang forward to intercept that blow in mid-air but with her gun upraised to strike she shrank back against the shattered woodwork in dazed perplexity the one whose upraised arm she would have crushed had struck but not at the masked man instead nina francisco's gun-butt mary recognized her now struck the revolver from sir arthur cumberland's hand instantly his opponent seized it and crashed it solidly against the englishman's temple cumberland fell back limp and senseless End of chapter 13